Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week, speaker Pastor Steve Benninger teaches from John chapter 9 in the series Portraits. Jesus, who are you? You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. Today's passage comes from John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How now does he see? His parents answered, We know this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or do we know who opened his eyes? Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. 
For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, but you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes? We know God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is God's word. Shirley and I met back at college. It wasn't long after we met that she shared with me that her life verse was right from this chapter. John chapter 9 and verse 3. Most of you know that my wife has a disability. Uh, she has a congenital birth defect. Um, but if you know her, you also know that she doesn't let it get her down very much. Uh, she's one of the most joyful people I know. She believes what Jesus said about this blind man. But just like with him, her disability has a divine design. Namely, that the works of God might be put on display in her life. And uh, through the years, Shirley has been an incredible testimony to me and many other people of that very thing. And uh, I am very grateful for her. Well, as we heard, John 9 tells the story of Jesus healing a man who had been blind since birth. We're not given his name. Just try to imagine that. Try to imagine what that man's life had been like. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Not only had he never seen a gorgeous sunset or 
a rainbow or beautiful flowers. He'd never seen anything. He'd never looked into the face of a human being. Nothing but inky black darkness his entire life. We sure take a lot for granted, don't we? Since he couldn't work for a living, he was reduced to begging. Every day, probably in the same spot, And when he woke up on this day, it held no particular promise of anything different, just another in an endless stream of monotonous days, punctuated with an occasional glint of hope when he'd hear a coin plop into his cup. But this day would be different for him, very different. His life would be dramatically and permanently changed by Jesus. Amen? But as you heard, there's another storyline here too because verse 14 tells us that this healing took place on what day of the week? The Sabbath. That sounds familiar, right? Didn't Jesus heal somebody else on the Sabbath day and get in trouble for it? Yeah, back in chapter 5, that lame man laying there by the pool of uh, Siloam, or pool of Bethesda, I think it was. His healing was recorded in John 5. Here's another Sabbath day healing, and I'm contending again that Jesus deliberately chose Sabbath days to perform these miracles on, to bring about repeated confrontations with the Pharisees, to provoke them. You see, they'd taken that law of the Sabbath, of resting and not working on the Sabbath day, and they'd turned it into something it was never intended to be. But Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath comes along and he aims to expose um, their so-called religious zeal or fervor for what it really was, which was phony hypocrisy. By the way, if you ever wondered, why did Jesus use, you know, spit mud paste to uh, use to heal this guy? I think the most likely explanation is that that would have been in direct violation of the melachot, I think it's pronounced, which was a list of 39 categories of labor that were forbidden on the Sabbath day. It was created by the Jews to get really specific on what constituted work. One of the things on that list was any kind of uh, kneading with your fingers, like kneading bread dough or kneading clay, which is what Jesus was doing. So to me, it seems obvious that he did it this way to intentionally violate their rules. So like always, Jesus was doing multiple things here. He was giving a blind beggar a brand new life. He was exposing the rule-based, joyless, unloving religion of the Jews. And he was further provoking the religious authorities, ensuring that his relentless march towards Calvary would continue as planned. And we're glad for that, right? Because it was on Calvary that he shed his blood. And it's his blood that washes us clean of our sins, like we just sang about. And so, we should be thankful. If you haven't pulled out your study guide yet, go ahead and do that. The chapter breaks down kind of like this. First, there's the account of the Sabbath day healing of the blind beggar. Then there's some confusion about his identity and, and confirmation of it. And that's followed by a bunch of conversations. Six, in fact conversations among different groups of people about the the man who was healed, the healing, and the person who healed him. Let me read the opening section again. Verse 1, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. 
And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now that's curious. There's definitely an, an assumption here, right? A theological assumption underlying their question. And you need to know it was very prevalent in that day to believe this, that there was a direct cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. It was commonly thought that if someone had a disability like this, it was because either they or their parents had committed a sin, and this was punishment for them. Now, is this good theology? No, it's not good theology. This is bad theology. It went back many centuries. In fact, doesn't this sound a bit like Job's friends? When Job, you know, had his disastrous day and the friends came along and said, well, you've apparently sinned. Now, we understand that some suffering, some suffering is indeed a consequence that can be traced back to a particular sin. If you go out and steal your neighbor's car, it's likely you'll get thrown in jail, right? There's a direct one-to-one -one correspondence in a situation like that. There's a cause and there's a specific effect. But here Jesus is saying it would be an error to view every disability, every form of suffering, as a specific punishment from God for a, for a particular sin. While that can sometimes be the case, it's not always the case. And so it's presumptuous of someone to immediately default to that conclusion. Well, you must have done something wrong. And much damage can be done to suffering people by just holding that over their heads. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he's saying, in essence, let's not get all focused on assigning blame here. We're trying to find the fault or trying to zero in on some sin that caused this man's blindness. That's not going to be helpful. Rather, let's focus on God's purpose in it. Not the cause, but the purpose. And again, this sounds familiar to me from our study in John. It sounds like Lazarus' story. Do you remember? Where Jesus said his illness is for the glory of God. That in God's plan, disease and suffering has a larger purpose. Having said these things, verse 6, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And he went, went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus, the light of the world, brightens this man's life in a very real way by giving him physical sight. I mean, who can do that? Who can do that? Only God. Only God. This is a miracle, isn't it? This is yet another of the seven miraculous signs that John shows us in his, his book here that, that are meant to stir up faith, faith in Jesus as the Son of, of God. Only God can give sight. Only God can do this. And you know what? This tells me a little bit about the heart of our Lord, doesn't it? That he loves to enter into the lives of people who are broken and downcast and outcasts and despairing and, and change their lives. This is our Lord. Now, can you imagine the joy this man experienced on that day? I mean, we can't really imagine that, can we? To have your world instantly go from pitch black 
to brilliant kaleidoscope of light. Can you imagine? Green? Is that green? Oh my, blue, orange. Amazing. You think he wept for joy? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. You think he went around telling everybody who would listen, I could see! I could see! I could see! I could see you! I've heard your voice for years, but I've never seen you. Oh my. Everything about this man's life would change forever, and Jesus used his divine power to make it happen for him. Praise God for this. What a Savior we have. This is so beautiful, but there's a little bit of confusion. <laughs> the neighbors and those who'd seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, yeah, it's him. And others said, no, it just looks like him. It's his twin, you know. And, but he kept saying, I, I'm the man. It, it's me. Kind of makes me wonder... Had this guy just become invisible to people? Just kind of blending into the landscape? You know that can happen. Had he been sitting there begging for so long that people just started to look right past him? Well, from this day on, he would no longer be the invisible man. That's followed by these conversations. And they're very interesting to me. The first is between the man and his neighbors, the people who had known him. They said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes and said, go to Siloam and wash. I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So somehow it's obvious he had discovered the name of his healer. He knew his name, Jesus, but he, he really didn't know much else about him, did he? Perhaps after washing at the pool, he'd gone back to his usual place, hoping to find Jesus and thank him. That's what I would have done. You probably would have as well. But he wasn't there. Jesus had disappeared. He didn't know where he was. And then things start to get interesting. Because they bring the man to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. The Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, well, this man, your healer, isn't from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. I believe he's a prophet. And so the focus of the conversation here now is on who? Well, it's on Jesus, right? It's not on the man who's standing in front of them healed. The Pharisees want to know the identity of the healer. And once again, we see that Jesus' identity was the central issue that his ministry confronted people with. Jesus, who are you? Are you from God or are you not from God? Are you a sinner because you, you break are religious rules or are you righteous because you're doing good and healing people? And the Pharisees were split on this, but the healed man sides with the positive view. He's a prophet. A lot of them didn't want to hear that and they certainly didn't want that spread around town. They needed some other 
version, some other explanation of what had happened. Maybe they thought if we can get hold of his parents, maybe we can kind of get a different story here, different take on what happened. So they call in the guy's folks, and they question them. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And they answer, well, we, we know this is our son. That's good. And uh, that he was born blind, but how he sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. He's not four years old, ask him. You know, he's a grown man. He can speak for himself. They're reluctant to say much more than that because of this threat. It had been already determined that anybody who said that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And, you know, it's different. It was different than it is now. Now, if you're in a church, a member of a church, and there's church discipline that takes place, and you're removed from the church, well, what? You can just go to another church down the road. Here, there was no other church. This was it. If you were put out of the synagogue, it was like being socially isolated, ostracized. From then on, all your friendships changed, all your relationship patterns changed. And so his parents were fearful of that, and they decided not to say much more. Ask him. Ask him. Now, when I read through these conversations, I'm thinking, something's missing in these conversations. What is it? Rejoicing! A blind man just got his sight. Where are the party hats and the streamers and the cake and the punch and the high fives and the back slapping and the music and the band? I mean, this is a, a, a cause for celebration and rejoicing. A man who hadn't seen anything his whole life can now see. Should have been a cause for rejoicing for these folks. But no, no, not for these religious stuff shirts. All they can think about is, how can we make sure that Jesus doesn't look good here? There's no celebrating the good fortune of this man whose whole life had just been changed for the better. And I got to thinking, this is so true of people who are stuck in religion, in religious rule-keeping. They just can't be happy for other people. They just can't. They're too hyper-focused on their rules and how well they're being kept. They couldn't care less about people. They're more concerned about judging and evaluating and feeling superior to other people than loving them. You'll say, well, what about the Sabbath? Well, certainly, yes, God did institute the day of Sabbath rest as part of the Decalogue, right? As part of the Ten Commandments, His holy law. But think about the Sabbath. The Bible says that the Sabbath was made for man. It was intended to be a one out of every seven days, uh, a healing respite, a day for restoration and renewal and recreation, a healing respite. Doesn't giving a blind man his sight fit in with that purpose? I would think so, but no, not for these Pharisees. They can't see it. And that's the irony in this story, isn't it? A blind man is receiving his sight, 
And these folks who thought they saw everything so clearly and were smug in that are actually blind. They're blind to the truth, the truth about themselves, the truth about Jesus. Well, after quizzing the parents, the Pharisees still weren't satisfied. They just can't let it go. So they want a second shot at the, the healed man. They want to pressure him into embracing some other version of his story than the one he was telling people. And so round two, for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God! I'm thinking, that's what he's doing. <laughs> Tell the truth, in other words. We know that this man over here, the one who healed you, is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. I love this. That is the power of personal testimony. Now I want to ask, how many of you have come to faith in Jesus Let's just say in the last few years or so. Could I see your hands? In the last few years. Awesome. Okay. Well, praise God for that. You know, sometimes with new believers, it's, they feel like, well, I don't know that much yet. You know, I don't know that much about the gospel. I don't know all the finer points of Christian theology. And if you are a newer believer, I hope you will study with us and learn and grow deeper in, in your knowledge and understanding of God's word and of his truth and especially of the good news of the gospel. But you know, even if you don't feel real conversant in those things, there's something you can always tell people, and that's your testimony, your story. And so maybe you're talking to somebody at work, and you're saying, look, I, I'm learning about the gospel. I don't know a lot yet, but here's something I do know. Jesus has changed my life. That's irrefutable. I mean, you can refute arguments, and you can debate arguments, but you can't refute somebody's testimony. No, you're not able to see. <laughs> oh, it's what happened to you. It's your personal experience. It's your testimony. And God can use it in amazing ways. By the way, have you ever written out your testimony, your story? I would encourage you to do that. You know, like a four-minute version of it. And then if you have more time, maybe a 20-minute version of it. And then, you know, maybe even the 90-minute version of it if you ever are on an airplane with somebody, you know. <laughs> and you're flying somewhere further than Cincinnati, I guess. This is so powerful. I love this. And here's something else. Sometimes when we hear ourselves testify of our faith, when we hear it in our own voice, it can have the effect of emboldening us even more. And that's what happens here. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> now think about it. This is a guy who's a blind beggar. He's an outcast in society. He's standing in front of the high council, these robed religious guys with a lot of gravitas, you know, beards and all. And he's getting bold. They didn't like it. They reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for that man, we don't know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. A little sarcasm here. 
you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's some bold stuff coming out of this guy's mouth. He basically turns it back on them, doesn't he? He begins to question them. He even gets a bit sarcastic, and he realizes these Pharisees are not on a sincere quest for the truth here. They're not going to go wherever the evidence leads. They've got a, they've got a storyline. They've got an agenda that's got to be propped up and supported. He realizes this. Of course, they respond by falling back on their allegiance to Moses. Of course, they weren't really following Moses. Because as Jesus said in chapter 5, Moses wrote about him. These people have been misreading and misapplying Moses for centuries. They built a whole theology around Moses that wasn't true to Moses. And this man clearly declares his belief that Jesus was from God. And they did not appreciate being lectured by this lowly beggar, and they had enough of him, and they throw him out. And just like that, he's out of their religion. He's out. I should probably say here that, that we should all understand that being bold in evangelism can get you into trouble with some people. Telling folks that they're on the wrong side of the truth can make them mad at you. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying count the cost. That's what Jesus would say. Count the cost. God is calling many of us to be more bold for him in our conversations with people. But just realize it's not always going to be well received. It wasn't for this fella. But thankfully, the good shepherd went after this lost sheep and found him. Love this. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He hadn't connected all the dots yet, had he? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. I love this about Jesus. And we've seen this before. We saw it. In the case of the lame man, Jesus cycles back. The healing happens, the, 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 the tumult happens. Jesus seeks out the one. After all, everything's died down. He finds him. You see, he wanted to bring him all the way to saving faith, didn't he? He wanted him to have not just physical sight, he wanted him to have spiritual sight. Because the Son of Man is on a mission to seek and to save those who are lost, by giving them the knowledge they need for salvation. So he tracks this man down, brings him face to face with the essential question of his identity. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? This is a man who wants to believe. He's not looking for reasons to doubt. He's looking for reasons to believe. And his heart is soft and and as we see, it's his time. And Jesus, in essence, says, it's me. It's me. 
And the man responds with the words of faith, Lord, I believe, and he worships Jesus as God. It's not hard for me to imagine him that he's maybe falling down on his knees before the Lord and saying, you are God, and I worship you. And by the way, we don't see Jesus going, oh, no, no, don't worship me. No, he gladly received worship because he is God. And so this man, who was already given physical eyes to see, is now given spiritual eyes to behold Jesus as Lord. And having seen, he believes. Praise God. Well, the chapter closes with a final conversation. It's kind of disturbing. It's between Jesus and the Pharisees. You knew it was coming, right? Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The sad commentary on these religious folks was this. These people, the Jews and their ancestors, had been given every advantage spiritually. And they were squandering it. It's so sad. The Jewish people were the custodians of the law of God. The Ten Commandments. They were custodians of the promises of God. All of the wonderful covenants of God. Their history was rich with stories of divine rescue and divine protection and intervention. The Exodus and the Promised Land and King David, that was all their history. They truly enjoyed a favored status with God among all the peoples of the earth. Yet when God himself came down to earth, robed in flesh, and showed up at their doorstep offering himself as their Messiah, All they could do was find reasons to not believe. They just couldn't see it. And that blindness was part of their judgment for not believing. It's sad, isn't it? And so I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on celebrating Jesus as the sovereign Lord, amen, who has a design for every disability. Yes, he does a purpose for every pain that he allows. I want us to focus on celebrating Jesus as the light of the world, the one who gives sight to the blind, physically and spiritually. I want to celebrate him as the life-changing son of man who brings hope where there was only despair and darkness. I want to celebrate him as the good shepherd who goes and finds the one lost sheep to bring him into the fold. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. He's amazing, and we we love him for it, don't we? We've been calling this year, 2016 here at New Life, the year to draw near. year to draw near to God in prayer. And we've been having some great times in our Saturday morning prayer gatherings. I hope you'll join us for the next one. We bumped it up a week to May the 7th um, in the prayer chapel from 8 to 9.15, May 7th. I'd love to have you join us in that. It's a great time. 
hearing this story today of Jesus healing the blind man makes me want to come before the Lord again and draw near to him on behalf of our lost loved ones, those who need Jesus to open their eyes and have spiritual sight so they see him for who he is and and what he's already done for them and what he wants to do in their lives and how he wants to change their lives. I know many, 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 many of us have loved ones who are lost. And we want this man's joy for them, don't we? We want, we want this man's joy for sons and daughters who are far from God and dads and moms or siblings or grandparents perhaps. We want his joy for them. Right now, to me, it feels like we're in a season where the Lord is working uh, in a special way to answer our prayers. Just in the past several weeks, I've been made aware of seven different people who have come to Christ and had their eyes open and believed in Jesus. And in each case, someone was praying for them. Someone was praying for them. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's Word and seek to know Him better through the Gospel. Our prayer is that the Gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the Word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.